You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Brigadier General Rob Woolridge. He is the Deputy Commanding General for Support of the 40th Infantry Division, California Army National Guard. Sir, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast, John. I've been listening to the uh, Urban Warfare podcast for a couple of years now, so I'm, I'm humbled to be talking with you today, and, uh, and I appreciate all that you've done to carry the torch for the uh, urban warfare community over the past several years. Sir, I really appreciate that, and you and I have had many conversations, and I'm excited about this episode talking about the Army's first urban planner course, and I say that after studying this for many years. And I've been studying urban warfare for a long time, and I've written in multiple articles and said in multiple public statements from presentations at the United Nations to podcast interviews that the U.S. Army does not have a school for urban warfare. And I stand by that. They have a mountain warfare school with multiple courses underneath it. They have a jungle school, even an Arctic warfare school. Furthermore, even outside of the U.S. Army, I'm not aware of any schools that specifically focus on the ability to plan large-scale urban operations. There are many tactical urban schools out there, from the Special Forces shooting and breaching courses like Safalic or Safartec, to the British Army's Urban Operations Instructor course, the Marine Corps' Urban Leaders course. Most of those, though, cap out at about platoon operations and really focus on the tactical individual team and platoon skills, which are all very important in the urban operations spectrum. But this is the first ever U.S. Army Urban Operations Planner course that I've ever heard of, and it was recently held in Los Angeles, October 17th to 23rd, we were out there, and it really focused on division and brigade staff, officers and NCOs planning for urban operations. Sir, my first question in relation to all of this is what made you and the 40th Infantry Division decide to form this course? Well, John, I've been thinking about the urban fight for nearly 30 years. Ever since I was a second lieutenant with the 82nd Airborne, I was uh, deployed to Port-au-Prince, Haiti for Operation Uphold Democracy back in 1994. It was my first real-world deployment, and it was difficult operating in that large city with both high-rises and shanty towns and improvised shelters, all with a huge population, civilian population all around me. And I didn't feel at the time that I was sufficiently trained to operate there with all the complexities that that environment had. And we had some recent experience in our last division warfighter in 2020. It was actually right before COVID hit. And then we had the California National Guard was involved in two civil disturbances, uh, one last summer, and we were prepping for a possible civil disturbance in Sacramento during the inauguration. I was actually the Joint Task Force Commander for that. But after those experiences, both civil support and training for large-scale combat, the 40th Infantry Division, the command group realized that we would not be able to just bypass cities and still be successful in our mission. Often our objective during those recent experiences was inside or adjacent to a city. And as General Yeager said, she said, we, we just can't wish away the cities. And I agree. Our dual mission as a National Guard division means that we need to be prepared to operate in urban areas, both in the homeland during disaster response and in combat overseas. So as we explore the impact of dense urban terrain, we can apply those lessons across the spectrum of Army and National Guard operations. But to your point, actually for me to be on this podcast, kind of bring things full circle, the spark to make last week's Urban Planner Seminar came when I was listening to one of your podcasts last fall, in the fall of 2020. It was the one where uh, your editor, John Amble, 
turn the tables and, and he interviewed you. And on that podcast, if, if I remember correctly, you discussed many of the challenges with training for urban combat and mentioned that you thought the U.S. Army needed a brigade or division to specialize in urban warfare, just like you just mentioned, you know, we have entire divisions that specialize in jungle, airborne, or air assault tactics. And uh, I remember you mentioning that this division would focus on learning urban and subterranean lessons for large-scale combat operations to share across the entire U.S. military. And you said that the other gap, like you mentioned, was the specialized school, that we don't have a specialized school or some sort of research body for urban operations with instructors who specialize in those tactics. And I was listening, I was sitting on my front porch, and I, and I remember uh, hearing all that and said, my division the, the 40th Infantry Division, my, my division, it's stationed in the middle of a mega city, Los Angeles, with 12 million people in a larger metro area. And we're only a couple of hours away from Fort Irwin's National Training Center and their giant urban training area, Rajish. And finally, you know, 40th Infantry Division is part of First Corps up at uh, JBLM. And First Corps is oriented on the Indo-Pacific region, which has the majority of the world's megacities. So I was sitting there thinking to myself that we would, the 40th Infantry Division would be the perfect unit to pick up the mantle on urban operations and work towards a specialized school to help offset the Army's lack of emphasis in this critical area. So I, I talked with my boss, Major General Laura Yeager. She's the 40th Division Commander. And I pitched her the idea of conducting a course for staff officers and NCOs to plan successful urban operations, something that like you just said, I, I don't think would ever been done before. So she's a great boss and she gave me not only encouragement, but more importantly, she allocated the money and the manpower out of hide uh, to make it happen. So that's kind of how we got started. Yes, sir. That's amazing. And that podcast, which thank you for listening about why urban warfare is so hard and how internationally around the globe, how hard it is to not only, okay, I want to do something in urban, but how do you do that? How do you train urban operations and how do you get the lessons from all of our recent histories in the last 10 years, really, all the lessons that we've learned in planning urban operations. It's huge. So you decided to do it, which is awesome. You got the resources, which is huge. And I know that you took that really out of hide to do this first pilot, which was amazing. I can't say enough good things about it, but what are the challenges that you faced in organizing the course from designing it to executing it? So, well, uh, as with a lot of bright ideas, it, t it turned out to be uh, harder to implement than we thought. We wanted to keep the class at no more than a week, so we would be more likely to get volunteers from other units in addition to our California National Guard units. And that meant having to prioritize the activities and the instruction. We, you know, we weren't going to be able to deep dive into everything that we thought might be relevant. So we also thought about getting students from across all the Army and you know all the components, active National Guard and Reserve. We thought that that was important to build a larger you know, urban operations community. But to your point, though, we wanted to do more than just admire the problem that urban operations are hard and they're complex. We wanted these seminar participants to walk away after seven days of training with not just an appreciation for the complexities of urban operations, but, but some tactics and some tools to successfully address the challenge. So we reached out first to the National Training Center at Irwin to establish a partnership. That was the key relationship we needed to move forward. I went out there in January, just before the inauguration, and met with the commanding general of NTC at the time, General Lesperance, and the commander of the operations group, Colonel Mike Simmering, who graciously offered up some of their officers' time in the Regis training area to help make the Urban Planner Seminar a reality. And then we reached out to the Army University and the Combined Arms Center at Leavenworth, as well as Fort Benning, for some help from some doctrine writers. And then, obviously, I, I leveraged you, asked you for some of your contacts, and we just kept calling people and, and building on those relationships and branching out further and further until we had a great collection of experts and activities planned for the seminar. 
Yes, sir. And as a person that was involved and your team really took the mantle and, and drove in a very quick and aggressive timeline, really from when we decided, when you decided to execute in a very aggressive timeline on when to execute the first pilot, I, I was actually surprised. It seemed like it was longer for me. That was Thanksgiving, you know, when we first heard it and it took 11 months to do it. So that seemed like a long time for me. Perhaps I'm just impatient. Perhaps, sir. And I think that relationship with the National Training Center for me was huge because one, this is huge to try to include all compos since the range of military operations from defense support to civilian agencies up to major combat operations, offense and defense, that's huge. But how important to me after visiting the National Training Center, so gracious of them to let me go out and watch the one operation, which I've done a podcast about the attack of Brigitte and watch all the lessons that are happening there, especially from the brigade staff, as I watched them plan it, how they plan it, what tools that they use from everything from the map and acetate to how are they doing every step of before execution and then actions on that relationship and the learning that happens every month at the National Training Center at the largest and I can say this after now traveling the world, not the largest urban training site, but the largest basically exercise where we're executing brigades to take on this major urban operation that you can't avoid, you can't bypass for the attack of regime. And how important linking that in in the transfer of knowledge to the 40th Infantry Division to me was huge. But also from the outside as kind of the, the academic slash a person with a lot of opinions, how important and what I saw from the first iteration is that your team took the challenge on of putting together the course. And from a, you know, somebody who's attended hundreds of conferences on urban operations, which is great that we continue to have the conversation, you know, they bring in the experts and it's really just familiarization with the challenges. And sometimes they'll make it a debate. And there are a couple courses that I know of that are in different cities where they come together and have a discussion about the challenges. But this was more about developing the tools, using the lessons learned coming out of the National Training Center, using historians for the lessons learned coming out of operations, and then trying to put that together into a course. I don't know if most people, maybe it's just me because I'm so excited about the course, understand when I've been given the question from different militaries, actually, like if you could design a course on urban operations, smart guy who keeps talking about it, what would it include? And I think that's the challenge. I know we'd want to have some doctrine, of course. What's the most current doctrine that we have? You'd have history classes. But I could never figure it out until we attempted it. And the 40th Infantry did that for, I think, for the basically for the world, as in, all right, let's do this. And some people might say it felt really wonky-ish, but that's because we're learning on given amount of limited time, right? We can't all be scholars of urban operations like me and be given multiple years, given a limited amount of time focused on planning for the operations. You have to do it in order to learn the lessons. And I can't comment enough about not only did your team attempt to do it, like design it, but then every day it was an, an AAR that we're trying to learn from the lessons from actually doing the course, not just from the students on their learning, but what's the AARs from trying to put this course together so we can design it better. So let's get detailed. After all the decisions were made and after all the back and forth on what to put in, what not to put in, what was the program of instruction? What did you execute? Well, and, and I appreciate that, John. That was the problem, right? Is we had to make some decisions and some trade-offs and as we were getting ready to do this thing. And I said up front that we were a learning organization and we were going to try to not only make the courses as good as we could on the fly. And I think we did that. We actually did some modifications as we went along and changed day to day because we were 
getting that feedback. I realized it was kind of a slog to go do an AAR at the end of the day, but really trying to make things better for that next go around. But so to answer your question, the topics, you know, we looked at the whole thing. And like you said, we could have done weeks, three weeks on this thing. So we narrowed it down to urban and suburban battle history, U.S. and NATO urban doctrine. We covered some adversary tactics. We had Dr. David Kilcullen in to do some of that. That was really great. We looked at urban tactics, both from a civilian first responder, a fire and police aspect. We had we talked to them and some military experts. We wanted to break up the academics with some practical exercises. So we actually did, we called it a terrain walk in, in Los Angeles, but that was just kind of getting back and forth to the first responder conference. And then we... Um, the California National Guard actually got us all up in helicopters and we were able to fly around Los Angeles, including the, the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach to really take this in. We went out to Fort Irwin's urban training site, uh, Rajesh, again, the, uh, the NTC ops group did a great job of briefing us on it. We had the CG at NTC give us his opinion for an hour. And that, I mean, that was, that was money. And other topics we did were uh, civilian considerations, rules of engagement, law of war, stuff like that. And we ended up with an urban tabletop exercise to kind of bring it all together. And like you said, we're trying not to admire the problem. We're trying to give practical tools so that people can walk away from this and feel that they have enough to actually plan and be successful in an urban operation. So like you were saying, this seminar was an experiment, right? It was the first step towards closing the gap in conducting successful operations in dense urban terrain. And it's very much an experiment in both format and content. And we learned along the way with the students so that we could inform our roadmap moving forward. And I think that the next seminar will be even better. And I hope that we can get some more subterranean study in on the next one than we had this time. And we hope that this will be at least an annual event driven by subject matter experts you know, in the community which are doctrine writers, scholars like you, and, and specialized individuals with a passion for this subject. Yes, yeah, sir. And like I said, as somebody who's there and I was learning, and then I, I try to tell everybody, I'm a, I'm a student of urban operations. I'm not an expert in the use of artillery in urban combat. I can tell you the historical examples of when it was used and how it was used or engineering capabilities. And I actually found that just the beauty of the design of who you had come to the course, uh, how many students did we have? We had about 50, as I recall, about half were National Guard with active duty making up the next biggest group. And then we had some Army reservists, a few civilian contractors, and we even had an officer from the United Kingdom who did a great job he also presented. Yeah, Ben Baker, he's, he's a great friend of mine and really another student of urban operations. So I was really happy to see him there. So what was interesting for me about the 50 is when you asked up front of, okay, what war fighting functions, who do we have here? I know we had an Intel officer, we had an engineering officer, we had engineering NCOs, and we had, of course, you had your legal representative gave an amazing talk on the complexities of the legal concerns when conducting combat in urban operations. And I'm learning this this whole time, right? But also the fact that the 40th ID was learning and something that we've talked about is what you get out of that is not only do you get educating people that come to it, but you're developing expertise within the 40th ID as urban practitioners, especially at the planning level, which doesn't exist. Yeah, I thought it was important. We had of the group of the California National Guard, we actually had about 10 staff officers from the division, but another 10 were from down in the brigades. And officers move around, it's, it's what they do. And so as we try to build up that capability here, we can't just have it inside the 40th ID headquarters. We've got to have other officers that are down at the brigades, not only to help them, but when the rotation happens, you know, today's division staff officer is 
tomorrow's brigade staff officer and vice versa. So we thought it was important to have those as well. We've got eight 06 level equivalent units that fall underneath the 40th ID just in California. And we had some Hawaii National Guard and some other Michigan National Guard in there as well. So it was a good group of folks, but you're right. We need to build that expertise resident in the 40th ID. And I hope that some of the students from this time around, as we're building that capability, I guess I can talk about that next, but as we're building that capability in our own urban SOP, they will be able to turn around and, and teach it next time. That's one of the best ways to learn You know, a subject is to be told you're about to teach it. Absolutely. Have them teach it and, and they're going to learn amazing amounts. And that, I think that's important to me as you know, even Congress has told the U.S. Army, you need to do more in urban operations. And I think I shared that with you, both the 2019 and 2020 NDAA had language in there from the HASC and the SAS saying urban operations is a major part of the future operating environment and we need to do more. I see this as one of the solutions and I'm really excited to talk about the urban SOP, but the population, I can't express how much I was learning from them, right? You had members of SFABs there. You had some really extreme experts in logistics and basically SPOD, APOD, launching forces through littorial urban areas. I made amazing contacts, which I know from General Yeager's presentation up front, that's part of what you do is you come to learn, but you also expand this urban operations network of people that are passionate about it. That was really important to me. And I think sometimes the doctrine piece gets, I wouldn't say discredited. You know, our doctrine is great. And you had representatives from both CAC and the Maneuver Center of Excellence, who currently is a proponent for urban operations. So both the, the ATP 306, which is about to be published from the Combined Arms Center, Major Leopold was there given like what the current status of that is. And then the Maneuver Center of Excellence representative talking about the future of the brigade operations, urban operations manual. So frankly, when I go out visit, just based on the, the speed of our training cycle, sometimes those books aren't referenced as much as they should be, but there are nuggets in doctrine, everything from how we classify different sizes of urban areas to the functional areas of urban areas. And how amazing is that to study that doctrinal view of urban characteristics and then fly over a mega city and say, okay, let's look at that. Like where are the industrial areas, the high rise areas and the commercial ribbons? And, and is it that clear? That's some amazing amount of learning happening. You know, when we talk about doctrine, I think that, and I was, I appreciate that both those, those majors came out to, to present. It's a bureaucratic process to get it updated. And one of the things that they were doing is now we're not only talking about about the doctrine, you know, what is the doctrine, but they were talking about how it's developed. It's got to go so through so many revisions and so many, they call it worldwide staffing. They got, everybody's got to chop off on it. Just naturally, the Army's a, a big organization and, it, and it, it's tough to get stuff out quickly. But I think to your point, that's been the problem with urban is nobody has wanted to jump on that, right? And so the doctrine writers feel like they've got to do more than just the what and the why, you know, that's doctrine is really supposed to be the what and the why, but SOPs have got to be the how, but nobody's doing an urban planning SOP. So I was actually talking to the guy from EMCO, the Maneuver Center of Excellence. And he said, well, sir, you know, I feel I've got to close this knowledge gap. So he's putting in some of that how in the doctrine, you know, it really should be an SOP thing. So I think that there's still a conversation that we can have. Uh, maybe uh, Major General Patrick Donahoe listen to this and uh, maybe we can have a conversation about how to slice that up. Because I think that the tactical units like the division need to be working the SOP level of stuff. And so we can you know, maybe put together a book kind of like the 101st has the, the gold book, which is their air assault. And everybody in the army 
liberally copies from that plagiarism, you know, is the is the sincerest form of flattery. So everybody just uses the aerosol gold book because it's what they do. And so we're looking at producing a practical SOP for division and below. And we thought about maybe calling it the gray book, you know, gray is in like concrete. Um, somebody came up with that idea because there's such a lack of practical how-to guide on how to operate effectively in the urban environment. I think our doctrine writers have are inclined to include more than just the what and the why. So I think that as, as the 40th ID enters into this space to help out, we can have a conversation about the division of labor on, on who produces what and who writes what. Yes, yeah, sir. It actually came out in our conversations, I think, in developing this course is what the what is the benefit to the Army, right? So now we'll have a, a division specializing at least in research and study and becoming, if you have to teach it, you become better at it. One of the byproducts of doing the Army's first Army Planner course, it isn't just the course. It isn't just the formation of experts because they've had to teach it so many times. There's a close relationship with the National Training Centers and the OCTs that are coaching and mentoring brigades through operations against urban terrain or in urban terrain. But there's also this third one, which is fascinating, right? So doctrine is is not supposed to be prescriptive. It's not telling you how. It's it's way we, we design it. But you're right. There are so many things, specifically talking about urban operations, when you're planning for large-scale combat operations in urban areas, that you can find if you go digging, but you're not going to find the hows of, here are examples. I mean, there's so many things that we could think of about putting in a book, a gray book. I really like the name of that. That would help a staff planning for an operation. Everything from the intel shops, the importance of GRGs or how the number of buildings and how to do the line of sight analysis and you know, things that, that are in doctrine, but sometimes get missed in the planning process. And this SOP is almost like a shortcut to the priorities in my mind, even the historical aspects, right? So doctrine incorporates history. It isn't designed to show you, okay, here's just four different examples of courses of action on how to take a city or basically seize an enemy held city. I think that's fascinating that we would have a place to put all that huge challenge on how to organize it, I think. But even when we, while I was at NTC and I learned every time I go out there, one of the products that I saw, I found amazing, and for me it was a gold nugget, was one slide that said, basically the keys to success for planning a seizure of an enemy city, just happened to be Regis, for at the staff level are really good fighting products. But they're very specific to, in this, this urban operation, here are the fighting products that really lead to success. I'm like, that's a huge gold nugget that has to get captured, can't be in doctrine because it's too prescriptive and you might find it in the you know in the planning of ndmp that, that you're supposed to have all these things but look hey in urban operations we found that you got to have these products coming out that become really critical in doing the complexity which i think it is the hardest environment to do an operation become critical i did think it was interesting that uh, when they showed us that slide that they were all obviously they were typed and produced by a computer but they were all analog all those fighting products were analog but you're right. And I think that as we produce something, the idea of this SOP would be that somebody who's never done urban operations could pick it up and, you know, certainly get a leg up without having done any studies. So you're right. Organizing, it's going to be interesting, but we'll have a couple of suggestions about how to do things. And like 
we were talking through the assignments of the graybook after the, at the end of the class, I kept all the staff officers there. And actually, you mentioned the, the logistics planner from the Army Reserve. He's stationed right next door to my headquarters in the Army Reserve headquarters. He stayed afterwards, too, because he just wants to help advance the scholarship and work on it. He's not even in the 40th ID. And he's like, yeah, I'll help with that. But for those of us to figure out, hey, these are some things that work. It's as the OCTs always say at any of the uh, training centers, they say, this is a way. Well, having a way, it may may not be prescriptive, but if just seeing that up front and saying, okay, here's a way, you know, here's how you do infiltration like way in 1968, you know, the VC infiltrated or, you know, just a quick thumbnail sketch of these historical things. Or there was, we had a SAMS instructor, Dr. Jacob Stoley uh, was with us. And uh, he talked about some historical versions, you know, previous wars, and even gave some ideas from the Israeli military on how they do things. So just having a bunch of, this is a way to do it and, you know, go forth and do great things. I realized that, you know, we've only just jumped on this as the 40th Infantry Division and that we put something out there, I might get punched in the face and say that that's stupid, don't do that, whatever. Even just being a lightning rod for criticism, that will help advance the scholarship and hopefully make this thing better. So if somebody out there tries out something in the gray book and it doesn't work out for them, then I'm trying to be really good about taking feedback and improving it. Yeah, absolutely, sir. And I'm so excited to see in the future a gray book. I can say from studying the history of the Army's and Marine Corps' evolution of preparing for urban operations, whether it's start a school here, do an experiment there, you've never seen something like that come out. And it's fascinating. And I, I'll say right now, you can't create that book without having a course. It's just not possible. If I just decided, okay, I'm going to go off the net, stop doing urban operations podcasts and scholarship and the dream job that I have, just sat down. I couldn't do it. I don't have the expertise. I'm not a division staff. I'm not bringing together and finding these passionate people. Like you said, Dr. Jacob Stoyle at SAMS, a close friend, he's an expert. And one of the reasons he's an expert, not only in his, his own studies, but he teaches division level operations at SAMS. So he's a critical component of this and this network you're building. I'm pretty excited about it. And actually I'm speaking next month at a major international conference as I've spoken at the United Nations, at NATO, and and lots of people are concerned about the collateral damage of urban operations and they're always looking for a solution. They've even gone down the path of restricting, which always happens in urban operations, but restricting the use of explosive weapons in urban terrain. I'm against that for many reasons, but I've actually said in major presentations like that, that the solution is not just updating doctrine. It's the whole dot mil PS spectrum and the gray book, man, is that going to be a, a gold nugget for, I think the world in preparing when you can't avoid it for combat operations in, in urban areas where the collateral damage could be so high. And I think there's lots of ways that we've learned to limit that collateral damage achieve the military objective, which is the first priority, achieve the military objective most effectively. Agreed. So, sir, let's put, you know, kind of a a broad question, but of interest to me as a student of this, as we looked at kind of course language, right? What's the terminal learning objective? And I think one of the questions I was asked during AARs I thought was important is like, hey, you said this is a planner course, but we're not doing classes on MDMP. And I think that was a great question. And, And well, we can't, we don't have an amount of time. We had to make decisions on, this is about every warfighting function, every staff element, having resources and having better knowledge in how to do urban operations. And are there differences than doing it in other environments? What would you say 
from the individual student who attended the course, what did they learn? What did they take away? Well, I think that they learned a great deal. I, I know that I did. I was with the class the whole week, both overseeing it and being a, a student myself. And we got a lot of great feedback. But at the very least, I think that they gained an appreciation of how different the urban environment is and how much they need to learn to be successful. And I hope that they learned a lot of the fundamentals like intelligence preparation of the battlefield is complex and it's critical, right? They should have also learned that urban is not a light infantry fight. It's a combined arms fight, task organized down to at least the company level. And we heard in our brief at Rajesh that that's actually not happening right now, right? So that the tank companies and the mech infantry companies going into Rajesh are not task organizing below below the battalion level, you know, tank pure and stuff. And when, when I talk about combined arms fight in the urban context, it's not just tanks working alongside infantry, but with engineers, direct fire artillery, military police, civil affairs, you know, et cetera. And our culminating event was a, like I said, was a tabletop exercise for a multinational, you know, a notional multinational joint task force conducting combat operations in a, again, a notional overseas dense urban environment. Interestingly, the the facilitator for the exercise was the California National Guard's own Lieutenant Colonel Luke Gygax. That name may ring a bell. His father, Gary Gygax, created Dungeons and Dragons and Luke's active in that community. And the format was a little unorthodox, but Lieutenant Colonel Gygax helped bring everything together for the students to demonstrate what they learned. We had them, uh, the seminar participants broke up into factions. We had U.S. allies, um, then civilians, the enemy that we were fighting, the notional enemy, and a criminal element. And they all worked through understanding the effects of the dense urban environment from their faction's point of view. And then they created their concept of operation to meet their goals. Obviously, the U.S. one was simple, you know, hey, this is move into the port. Now we need to attack to seize of this MSR or this uh, main supply route, whatever. Then we went through a few turns reacting to the turmoil brought on by both random chance. Lieutenant Colonel Gygax was rolling dice like D&D guys do. And then all of the other factions' choices all came together and impacted each other. And I talked with some of the students afterwards and read the critique sheets for the exercise, and they largely enjoyed it, uh, believing that it, it both fostered critical thinking and it gave them a chance to put what they had learned during the week into practice. Unfortunately, I missed that. You know, we've had a couple of listeners ask about it, and it, it does sound fascinating, as I have also been to many exercises whether it's just a talk through or actual war game that I find fascinating. And I'm really excited, one, because it was unique, but the combination of learning up to that point, the overflight of LA, and then actually doing a war game, and the number of reps and sets that your team's going to get and capturing of all those nuggets, that's, I think, what's so important to me is the learning that happens when trying to teach a course like this because of how complex the operation is and how the depth and breadth of what is needed that isn't out there. And you're basically building the airplane in flight. Exactly. You know, you talked about building the plane in flight and, you know, from a, a lessons learned standpoint, like I said, we got a lot of great feedback from the students each day and we're still sorting through that. I've got a it was so thick, I couldn't actually get a giant binder clip around it. So I, myself and the course manager, Colonel Keener, are still sorting through that. But I, I think some of the biggest adjustments we need to make are giving some historical case study read ahead material. Like in the beginning, we were popping off with all these different battles. And like you said, there was some good uh, warfighting function, deep knowledge. Uh, these were all mid-career professionals, senior NCOs or field grade officers. But 
there was a vast disparity on their understanding of urban. You know, some people couldn't spell it and some people, you know, had done master's level work on it. So I think that giving some historical case study read ahead material beforehand so the students show up with some basic understanding of key urban battles like Manila in 1945 and Wei in 1968 and Shusha in 2020. We need to streamline and structure the, the next course a little bit different to first understand the larger strategic context of why we need to get better at this urban fight, then understand the many facets of this complex urban environment. And finally, once we've got those two pieces down, that's when we need to deep dive into the tactics and tools that they can use to overcome these challenges. And I think we will loosely parallel the uh, Army's operation process. You mentioned MDMP, but the the whole operations process like in ADP 5-0, particularly intelligence preparation of the battlefield and course of action development. I think that the practical exercises like the visit to NTC and Rajesh are key, as well as that terrain walk flight in Los Angeles. That really brought it together. I fly over Los Angeles all the time, so but it was interesting to hear from the participants that it's hard to grasp the magnitude of the problem until you're actually in the thick of a megacity and trying to wrap your head around how you would operate in one with given all of its size and complexity. You know, we have the gray book to be continued, but I think you almost have another pot of gold already just from the first iteration of this course. So the historical case studies, I think that's great. And you know, at the Urban Warfare Project, we have some case studies and we're working on heavily on doing more of those as I've learned and I'm not a historian and I, my friend, Dr. Jacob Stoll is and how hard it is to be a historian and how much depth has to go into each case study. And our big, hairy, audacious goal, me and my co-partner, uh, Jason Giroux, on creating very short case studies under 4,000 words. And the fact that it could be used in this course as pre-reads is pretty exciting to me. So amazing amounts of lessons in the first iteration, but what's next? What's the future of this course in the 40th Infantry Division's involvement? Well, to, to be blunt, we need to find some steady funding that will allow us to expand. You know, this course we just put on came completely out of hide. And as one of my mentors used to say, vision without funding is hallucination. That said, I, I see several lines of effort moving forward. I think we're already doing line of effort one, which is to reinvigorate the urban community of interest. You've been with it the whole time, but as you mentioned in the 2016, in one of our conversations, 2016, 2017, mega studies group, interest in that's kind of waned. So I'd like to pick that back up and 40th ID staff officers need to continue the urban warfare advocacy and, and to push the scholarship forward, right? And like you said, the best way to do that is through teaching, through publishing, through attending conferences. We talked about the practical SOP, the gray book already. That's another line of effort. We would also like the division, I guess a third line of effort would be that we'd like the division to be a repository and a test bed for urban tactics, techniques, and procedures. For example, in software engineering, uh, which is my civilian job, we have a saying that says, eat your own dog food, which is, you know, you've got to use your own product to see how it is. So we are going to put our money where our mouth is and pursue tackling an urban problem set at our next major command post exercise. It's Warfighter 23-2 next year. If we don't present a demand signal to the training enterprise, nothing's going to change. The gaps that we identified and how we kind of got here, one of them was is during a warfighter that we had, we blazed through a couple urban areas. We secured one with, you know, it was a 250,000 population in the city and we secured it with like a CAV Troop Plus, which that's ridiculous. You can't do that. But the SIM 
didn't challenge us. So we're, we're trying to do that feedback loop to try and improve the simulation and the training for the enterprise. Our fourth one, our fourth line of effort would be, we've talked about this, the center of learning. We'd like to see that enduring partnership with the NTC. And to be blunt, we'd like the 40th ID to become recognized experts and thought leaders in urban operations across the range of conflict and disaster. Because you know, as a dual purpose, that's our dual purpose as a National Guard division is reacting to disasters and being able to fight the fight overseas. And I guess the last piece is there is that training infrastructure. We'd like to develop a self-sustaining training infrastructure to perpetuate leadership and proponency in, in urban operations growing into something like the Mountain Warfare School in Vermont, but instead being an urban center of excellence, hopefully someday. And I'm all in, sir, to, to help in this effort and everything from the scholarship to our, our professional leader development. And I hope that everything you just mentioned comes to fruition because I think and you and I talked about this across the dot mill PF spectrum. Who are the people that are consulted, whether you're forming a, a tiger team to, to look at something that needs to be updated, whether it's doctrine or, or anything else, down to training, the whole dot mill PF spectrum for preparing operations for the future. I'm really excited about it. I hopefully the light has been shown on this is, this is big. This is, and again, I've been doing this for years. The most important thing I've seen one, to have leadership like you and General Yeager can make huge changes in the military if, if the leadership is invested on it's a priority, as we all know that, hey, there's a limited amount of time, limited amount of training time, limited amount of resources. To make it a priority is step one, and, and you've done that, so I'm all in. Well, hey, John, thank you so much for having me on the podcast and for all your enthusiasm and your scholarship on this very difficult subject you know, urban operations, urban warfare. And I'm so glad that the Modern War Institute is supporting this important work. And I'm sure that sometime in the future, we'll be able to trace this back and, and see that your efforts save lives. And that's really what it's all about. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out NDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.